These are the Books of the Universe by Douglas Miller, read by the author. Book 1, The Book of Destiny. Previously, on The Book of Destiny, missionary Penuel Clark had been on the inner circle world of Axpin as it had been destroyed. Chapter 8, A Monster Attack. World, Cleedy. World Status, Inner Circle. Mara smiled while she worked. She had always been told, growing up, that she had a good work ethic. She didn't know about that. She just enjoyed helping people. Back on Inlet or on Raytheel before it, no matter how much she wanted to, she couldn't keep her own living area tidy or even so much as keep a decorative plant alive. Here, it was even more important to keep a smile. She was helping teach the people of Cleedy how to coordinate their farmland and develop an infrastructure to maximize the amount of output they would receive. Initial research for her missionary trip to Cleedy had discovered that starvation was a large issue here. Therefore, she had researched farming strategies and ways of developing a working system. She was now passing that on to the people of Cleedy, and she was putting in the physical labor to help them get set up. She wanted them to understand what it was they were creating. It wasn't reasonable to leave missionaries on one world forever. If a world needed missionaries that long, the missionaries became an essential part of their culture, economy, and way of life. Then the missionaries were not fulfilling their purpose. From a high-up spiritual perspective, the purpose was to inform the people of the worlds about the Creator and about Sadiris' love for them. This would pave the way for their souls to be saved after death. However, on a more limited perspective, a part of the way in which they did this was by showing love to the people and helping to elevate them up. Sure, they could just send their missionaries with large quantities of food, and they often did, but the villagers had to learn how to better make their own food. If the missionaries didn't work to help these smaller worlds be able to stand on their own, then they were just doing everyone a disservice. The goal, when it came to the limited perspective, always had to be either self-sufficiency or elevation into the inner world arena, enough that the world could manage to get what it needed diplomatically, rather than through missionaries. At least, that was how Mara saw it. She knew that there were other schools of thought, even among the other missionaries, who would come out to the inner circle worlds with her, on board the Elpida. It had actually been a highly debated topic, especially when inner world diplomacy was brought up. Mara felt like some of her other missionaries actually wanted the small worlds to remain dependent on them in the church so that they would be able to continue spreading the word of the Creator there. Mara saw the importance of being able to spread the Creator's love and have continual connection with the people, but she felt like keeping the people dependent was a poor way of doing it. People should come to the Creator out of love and choice, not because it's held over them as means of getting what they need to survive. That was basically blackmail. No, Mara believed the best way to show the Creator's love was to talk about him and share his teachings, but to make it so that the people didn't have to rely on the church and could make their own choices about him. Mara mopped her brow. She'd been out in the field for a few hours now, and she was certainly feeling it in her arms, back, and everywhere else. Still, she smiled. She was doing good work, 
and she knew that the people of Cleti appreciated it. I'm gonna go get some water, she said to Wakisa, who was working nearby. She headed back towards the local well, and she was drawing water into her canteen when her virtual assistance device buzzed on her wrist. She flipped it up to see who was trying to contact her. It was the void ship Elpida, which made sense given that she didn't really know anyone else within five worlds except the other missionaries. Only one of them would have any reason to contact her directly. Mara here, she said, touching the button to activate the call. Appearing on the screen was a woman in gray robes. Mara recognized her as Wilda Marsden. Quirk, everything okay there? Wilda asked. Mara looked around. The skies were blue. The village laborers were laboring, with many focused on the tasks that she had taught them. Nearby, a group of five children were playing with a ball that they bounced across the dirt street near the well. Everything seems fine to me, Mara answered with a smile. Good, Wilda said. Mara could hear the relief in her voice. How's everything where you are? Mara asked. You sound a bit stressed. You have no idea, the woman said. A group of wolves has destroyed Axpin. We're calling to... Is Penuel okay? Mara interrupted suddenly. He's okay, Wilda answered. He managed to use his anchor to get out at the last minute. Wilda's eyes narrowed. Unfortunately, he brought three strays with him, so that'll be an issue to deal with here. That is unfortunate, Mara agreed, looking down at the dirt and shifting her feet. There must have been hundreds of people on that world. Only being able to save three must be heartbreaking. Especially so early in his mission. He probably hadn't been able to bring the truth to that many of the rest of them. Still, I'm glad he managed to save some lives. Wilda's lips went thin. Yes, that is the tragedy of the situation. Wilda frowned but continued. We're calling to warn you since we don't know if the wolves are still in the area. If they're going from world to world, yours may be one of the ones they'd consider hitting next. I see, Mara said. You should let the villagers know to be on the lookout and... Not trust any strangers that come into the world. Like me, Mara suggested, since, you know, I'm a stranger, and I'd be telling them not to trust other strangers. Isn't that the sort of thing that could hurt off future efforts here? You know what I mean, Wilda growled. Mara didn't, but she also got the impression that Wilda was not having a good day. She didn't want to make it worse by being difficult. Well, anyway, I'll keep my eyes out here and let you know if I see anything. Hopefully, if the wolves try to destroy this world, I can get more people off of it. Maybe I'll try to set up an emergency plan with the people so that if that sort of thing happens, they all know to go to the same place so that I can take them all with me. Mara, that's not... Wilda's tone seemed urgent, but Mara had already had her finger on the icon to close the call. She wondered what it was that Wilda was going to have to say, but figured that if it was important, she would call back. Mara shook her head, thinking of the call. Her contemplation was broken suddenly as the sound of a loud horn rang out over the village. 
Looking around, Mara could see as a sort of panic washed over the villagers. The workers all began to run toward these small huts and tents of the village. They went indiscriminately, rushing into whatever structure was nearest without hesitation. The four children who had been playing were each scooped up and rushed into huts. Mara thought for a moment about why that sounded odd to her brain. Four children who had been playing. Four. Oh, yes, four. There were five children playing a few moments ago. Where did the fifth go? Mara realized that the horn was a warning of some sort of threat. She knew that what she should be doing is taking shelter. However, she was concerned more about the missing child than she was about her own protection. She walked over to where she had seen the children playing. She could just make out the dust trail of the ball having rolled out of the circle, going out beyond the nearby huts. There was another hill after that, so it made sense that it would have kept rolling. She followed the path and the dirt past the huts, down the hill, and to the grass around the village. There, she saw the child, a young boy that she estimated to be around seven years old. He was sitting on the ground, his knees curled up, the ball was held between them, and his arms were wrapped around his knees. Tears were streaming down his dirt-covered face, and she could tell from the state of his clothes that it appeared he had tripped and fallen down the hill. She ran towards him, knowing that there was a level of urgency to the situation. A loud cawing sound was heard above them. Mara looked up to see a massive winged creature. Just before it entered a dive towards the child, Mara took a deep breath and closed her eyes. Creator, protect me, she said. She dove toward the child, knocking him out of the way and continuing to push him so that he rolled a little bit further. She rolled along the ground herself so that when the beast flew over, she was no longer in its targeted spot. The monster hovered in the sky, looking down at its prey. Mara stood, taking her place between the beast and the child. Mara knew that the Church of the Creator taught that the essence flowed through the weave. But this wasn't the faith that she had been raised in. She had been taught in the traditions of the Temple of Truth, which had taught her the paths of the vault. When she had converted to the church, she had tried to learn the weave. She had tried to see the essence through their lens. But no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't do it. For her, how the essence could be accessed by human hands was not important to her faith. She reached out with her mind, trying to find her pathway into the vault. It had been a long time since she had needed to do so. For the sake of the church, she had avoided accessing the vault as much as she could. Feeling the doorways of the vault open, she thought of what she needed. Sword. She echoed the thought over and over, trying to find it. The monster was swooping down toward them again. At least she was standing in between the monster and the child. Even if she failed, at least the monster would get her instead of the child. Maybe it would give him a chance to get back into the village to safety. Suddenly, her essence sense clicked. In her hand formed a golden blade of light, which she swung at the creature. It waved back away with its wings, recognizing the threat. The wind almost knocked Mara off her feet. That's right, she said. 
I've got a sword. If you want to terrorize this village, you have to go through me. The monster took her up on her offer, folding its wings in and flying towards her, beak out like a dart trying to pierce through a board. Mara slid to the ground and stuck her blade of light upwards, cutting through the monster as it flew over her. The beast fell to the ground, no longer moving or threatening anyone. The boy stood and ran to her, wrapping his arms around her legs. Let's get you home, little one. She opened her palm, and the sword vanished. If monster attacks like these were an issue for this village, then she knew that she still had a lot of work to do. Hello, I'm Douglas Miller, the author of the Book of Destiny, and the reader for this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Books of the Universe. If you want to check out more of my projects, like my cyberpunk superhero series, Heroism and Other Lies, or my spacefaring robot series, Ruins and Robots, you can find them on Amazon, or get more information on my blog, which you can find at goalworlds.blogspot.com, or my Facebook page, facebook.com goalworlds. You can also find more Books of the Universe information on my blog, including character profiles, world guides, and more. Again, that's goalworlds.blogspot.com. If you did enjoy this episode, let me know. Like, review, or comment on wherever you found it. And of course, be sure to share and tell any friends, relatives, colleagues, or strangers who might be interested about the Books of the Universe podcast. I'm hoping to get the next episode posted on Wednesday, April 15th, so be sure to check back then. Until next time, I hope you can fend off any monster attacks that might happen. <laughs>